Father God, we thank you so much for this precious book we have in front of us. This is your word, and we know that your word is truth, dear God. And I just pray that as we look and study the centurion's life, I just pray that it may be a blessing as to the audience today as it has blessed me, and that you may convict the audience as he has convicted me, dear God. I just pray that you may use this sermon and use me as your tool, dear God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So verses 5 and 6. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking him for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. So here we find the first point of my sermon. And my first point is a comparison. And it's a comparison between the centurion and us. The centurion and us. Jesus is approached by the centurion and he's asked to come and heal his suffering servant. And the first thing we know in verse 5 is that he's a centurion. Ray earlier today talked about who the centurion was and his importance. And to understand this text, we need to really understand the Jewish culture and their opinion of the centurion. Within the first century Judaism, someone who was not considered a Jew was considered a Gentile. And if you're a Gentile, you were considered unclean. And what makes this, this um, account more interesting is a person who's asking for help, a Roman soldier, an officer of an occupying nation. And he's the one asking for help. And a centurion is someone who, who's, who commands a hundred soldiers. So he's an important figure within the Roman Empire. The Jews would have considered him to be absolute filth. And to think this filth is asking a Jew for help. And if you were to compare us to the um, centurion in the eyes of the Jews, you would, that would pretty much conclude that we too are Gentiles and we too are filth. So this is the first thing we have in common with this centurion. We're Gentiles. We're outside God's covenant people in the Old Testament. Secondly, we note that the centurion has a care for his servant. servant. Within the Roman world, slaves did not matter. In fact, it could be argued that livestock had a greater value, value than slaves. But yet this centurion cared for his servant. The second thing we can compare ourselves to this centurion is, do we have a care for our loved ones, the people around us? And if we do have a care, do we actually act upon it? Do we do something about it? If someone's suffering, someone's sick, someone's hurt, do we just say, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you, and that's, that's as far as it goes? Thirdly, the centurion had a great reputation with the Jewish elders. If we look at Luke's account, which we read this morning, we know that it was actually the Jewish elders who came to Jesus, and they did all the pleading with Jesus. Verse 4 and 5 tells us tells us this, starting from um, Luke 7. So if you want to click over to Luke 7. Probably want to keep your finger there, because I'll be using Luke 7 as well. So starting from verse 3. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. 
When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Now, on a side note, when the first time I read this, I was thinking, hold on, there's a bit of a contradiction here. The Bible's contradicting itself. Matthew's telling us that it was a centurion that got up and, 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 and um, pursued Jesus, but yet Luke's telling us that it was the elders. So is the Bible contradicting itself here? So when I digged into it, it's actually a literacy technique that the Bible uses, which um, credits the person in authority. And all the gospel writers actually apply this technique. Like John 19.1, when the Bible tells us that Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, it wasn't Pilate doing it, it was that he ordered the officers to do it. But it attributes the, um, or it gives credit to the person who ordered um, the action to emphasize their authority. So when we come to this text, we see Matthew applies this literacy technique. It really means this centurion was an important man. And this actually helps us understand the depth of the lessons found within this text. So that's just a quick side note. So the centurion was respected by the Jewish elders. He has done these great things because he had an understanding of the truthfulness found within their religion. Bringing us to our third comparison this morning. If you are a Christian, does your reputation precede you? In fact, what type of reputation do you have? Are you respected and considered a faithful person? Are people willing to stand up for you? Are people willing to to talk highly of you? Which points to the fourth thing this morning, the centurion's actions. The centurion had a faith. He had faith in Jesus. Now, in simple, um, faith is to have complete trust in someone. And the centurion, a Gentile, approached Jesus and acted in complete trust. If you want to know where your faith lies, ask yourself, when something bad happens, do you run to Jesus or do you try to sort it out on, on your own? I know I'm so guilty of this, this little comparison right here. Oftentimes, things might go wrong at work. I can fix it. Ellie's a pro. Rather than humbling myself, acknowledging that we have a sovereign God and running to him. The centurion's faith led to ask Jesus for help and see Jesus' reply um, to his request in verse 7 in the book of Matthew. And verse 7 reads, Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? Shall I come and heal him? Jesus is ready to do a miraculous work. He's ready to physically get up and make things happen. But what's even more puzzling is the centurion's reply in verses 8 and 9. He says, The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell you, this one go and he goes, and this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. So we've learned a bit about who the centurion is. We've made a, a few comparisons to the centurion and us. And for the second point um, within this sermon is another question. Do you have marvelling faith? 
Do you have marveling faith? Let's look at the centurion's reply in verse 8. The centurion's reply, he says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This demonstrates his understanding of Jesus' authority within the kingdom of God. His humility also reflects his understanding of a great Messiah. The centurion was a great man, but yet he owned his unworthiness. Makes me think, when we come to God, do, do we consider ourselves greater than what we are? This great man acknowledged himself to have no reputation before the God Almighty, the King of the Kingdom. But yet, oftentimes we come to God thinking that, you know, he owes us something because we've done a good deed or two or or because, you know, just because. The first time I, I realised who Jesus really was in my life, I came broken. I was so ashamed. I was actually ashamed to repent because he just brought so, so much, you know, anger and frustration about the things that I've done. And to this day, I'm still not worthy of Jesus. We will never be worthy. We will always fall short, but thankfully, like the centurion understood, our hope is not in ourselves, our hope is in Jesus. Secondly, the centurion believed that Christ is not bound by distance. In fact, there are no limits with Jesus. We have seen that Jesus' actions is not bound by status or religion, and now by distance. There are no limits with Jesus. We need to understand that God is not bound by any external features or by what we perceive to be impossible. But God has the ability to heal those from both the effects of sin, like the centurion's servant, his corruptible body, but more importantly, sin itself. Thirdly, we need to understand the mindset of a Roman centurion. Within the first century Roman society, the centurion's reply demonstrates great faith as he understood Jesus' authority within the kingdom of God. And I've got a quote from Calvin. I like what he says about this. He says that by the mere expression of his will, he restores health to men. Therefore, he must possess supreme authority. He must possess supreme authority. This idea of supreme authority, it's attributed to the emperor within the first century Roman world. So the emperor was the boss, to put it simply. He was supreme. But yet the centurion understood that Jesus is the emperor. He is the emperor of the kingdom of God. Furthermore, he acted in faith on this understanding. I want you to ask yourself, do you view Jesus as king? And more importantly, do you act do you act as if Jesus is king? The centurion knew who Jesus was. He understood this Jesus was a holy Messiah who can perform such a miracle with ease. The centurion demonstrated great humility. He understood his unworthiness before Jesus. He acknowledges Jesus' great power to heal. And then he acted purely an act of faith. And to this, Jesus replies in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Luke's account, 
Luke chapter 7 verse 9 tells us, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned the crowd following him, turned to the crowd following him. And he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. In my other Bible versions, we have, we see great faith and we also see marveling faith. And you've got to have a pretty unique kind of faith to amaze Jesus. Because if you think about it, really, Jesus knows everything. He's seen it all. And when he tells us that Jesus marveled, you know it's some kind of statement. He tells us that Jesus in his humanness was literally amazed at the faith of his Gentile. You know, if, if we think about the, the disciples, what Jesus said to them, O ye of little faith. They were disciples and they weren't too sure who he was. Thomas says, I'm not too sure. Philip says, show us, God. And Jesus says to him, you've been so long with me and you don't know? The centurion didn't have the same experience as the disciples had. But yet, it was, he had great faith. Jesus was marveled. How do you think Jesus would describe your faith? Do you think Jesus would be marveled at your faith? Augustine, Augustine, our fourth century champion of the Christian faith, he notes that Jesus was marveled and he and applauds the faith of the centurion publicly, therefore leading him to point to the diversity of the people that the kingdom of God will consist of, which we find in verses 11 and 12. You see, at the time the Jews believed that they were exclusively entitled to the kingdom from the many privileges that they experienced in the past. And now they're being told that a physical heritage is no longer sufficient. So verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 8, if you want to open that. 11 and 12. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Bringing me to my third and final point this morning. The result of faith in Jesus. The result of faith in Jesus. My first point was a comparison between the centurion and us. The second point was a question, do you have marvelling faith? And the third point is the result of faith in Jesus. Jesus is simply saying that salvation has nothing to do with nationality or race. That God does not show favouritism in his kingdom and that his kingdom will consist of all types of people. And we need to know that Jesus' response was a result of the centurion's actions. Verses 1 to 10 um, tells us through the example of a centurion that everyone is welcome. A Gentile is welcome to come and put their faith in Jesus. The Bible on many occasions invites sinners to repent and believe in Jesus as their saviour. So if you think about that criteria, one a Gentile, two a sinner. I fulfil that criteria very well. 
and the invitation is to to come and believe and approach and pursue Jesus, and the result of this will be heaven. However, verse eleven and twelve is tell us is telling us that the sons of a kingdom, meaning the Jews, God's covenant people, we find in the Old Testament, are thrown into outer darkness. Why? Simply because of their refusal to believe in Jesus as King. The result of faith in everything else, in everything else but Jesus, is hell. Out of darkness simply means hell. The sons of a kingdom are thrown in there because of their unbelief. When he says out of darkness here, is Jesus, uh, his, Jesus is speaking in their vernacular or their lingo. The rabbis of old taught that sinners in Gehenna will be covered with darkness. And so the ancient book for Talmud says, The Jews believe that sinners went into darkness. And that's exactly where you're going, Jesus is saying to them. Where sinners go, away from the light of God's presence. Jesus is, is, is making sense of it to, the, to, their, to his context. He's telling them, Sinners go to hell. Simple. Total darkness, a phenomenon created by God for eternal punishment. Out of darkness, that's a place. Just like heaven is a place. And the horror of that place can be seen in that that little phrase at the end of verse 12. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the effect of darkness, the loss of all happiness, the loss of all joy, the rage of helpless despair, the excruciating torment of eternal darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is not pleasant. Here are some more references from Christ himself in the book of Matthew. I'll just skim through a couple. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth. Chapter 13, verse 50. And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. 22:13. Then said, to the, said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, and take him away and cast him into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Chapter 24, verse 51. Every one of those quotes is from Jesus. And that's just from the book of Matthew. He talked about that. I know people think Jesus is, is all about love, peace, kindness. And, and that's true. Jesus is about that. But the Bible also tells us that there's a reality, there's a consequence. And Jesus taught that there is a consequence for sin. And there's a consequence for unrepentant sin. And we can be firm when we have the word of God. And the words of Jesus is that people who reject the Messiah, people who do not place their faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus. Even if they're the sons of a kingdom, the Jews, you're going to be thrown into outer darkness. You are going to be thrown into hell. Hebrews 9.27 says, N as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this for judgment. They say there's two things, um, two things that's promised to you since birth, taxes and death. Death is inevitable. But the Bible teaches us, teaches us that judgment is inevitable as well. But thankfully with Jesus, 
heaven will be inevitable as well. Verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Notice that little phrase. Just as you have believed it would. Can we claim that? Not necessarily. He said that to the centurion. Paul believed that God could heal him. God didn't, right? That's the sovereign choice of God. God is not indebted to heal us just because, you know, we call out to him. And I know a lot of people would say, and people within the charismatic circle would say, um, you weren't healed because of your lack of faith. Well, if you stand on that logic, then um, Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, um, lacked in faith. So, to conclude, I guess, from this verse, that God has sovereign choice, and ultimately he does whatever he pleases. He pleases him to do, and he pleased him to heal that servant. And to conclude this sermon, I want you to think about this centurion and make some comparisons to your life. The first thing we learn from the centurion is that he understood who Jesus was. He understood and believed that Jesus was king, and that he was king, he was the emperor of God's kingdom. Ask yourself, do you? Do you understand that Jesus is king? Do you believe that Jesus is king? Secondly, the centurion, although a great Gentile, who had many soldiers beneath him, still considered himself unworthy of Jesus' grace. But yet he still reached out for it. He still pursued Jesus. Ask yourself, are you a sinner in need of a saviour? Have you ever pursued or called out to Jesus? Lastly, Thirdly, sorry, one more. We learned that the centurion understood that Jesus has the authority to heal the consequences of sin, but more importantly, sin itself. Jesus is the spiritual physician. Jesus is the spiritual doctor. Has Jesus healed this disease called sin in your life? Lastly, Jesus made it clear that those who place their faith in anything else, in anything else but Jesus, will be sentenced to eternity in outer darkness, in hell. I want you to ask yourself, where is your final destination? Heaven or hell? If you are unsure about your eternity, you'll be wise to call out to Jesus. Own your unworthiness and believe like the centurion believed. And your faith will be considered a marveling faith, a saving faith. And for the Christian this morning who perhaps would not consider their faith marveling, what a beautiful reminder of our King Jesus, who has taken our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh, who has healed us from this spiritual disease and has given us an eternal life with him. He is the only one worth pursuing, like the centurion did. So act on this understanding of Jesus. And I love what the hymn writer wrote, and to finish up, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, 
And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. Over us sin no more have dominion, for more than conquerors we are. For more than conquerors we are. Amen.